Well, thanks again uh, for your welcome here. It's, it's good to be here. Um, as you, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Lara and I are working uh, in mission here in, uh, in Sydney um, amongst uh, refugee youth. And doing uh, mission has been quite a challenge of late uh, because of the current pandemic. For certain periods of time last year, we were unable to meet uh, those we were trying to reach and we had to cancel a number of our activities. It does make you wonder uh, what God is doing in all of this, doesn't it? What is God doing with this pandemic? Uh, One thing it has done is that it's driven my mission team to pray more. Because at the height of the lockdown in Sydney last year, there wasn't much else we could do but to pray. So what difference do our prayers make? What role do they play in God's mission? Uh, Is it just during a pandemic that we ought to pray when there's nothing else we can do? Is that what we do? If only we could get a behind-the-scenes look into heaven to see what God is doing, what he's up to, to see whether our prayers make any difference. Now, we've probably all seen one of those uh, behind-the-scenes documentaries. Uh, During the lockdown last year, uh, I watched The Last Dance uh, on Netflix, which if you're a basketball fan, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, It's the story of the Chicago Bulls in the mid-90s who won uh, six NBA titles, largely because of Michael Jordan. Uh, I watched that. It was a very fascinating insight into, uh, into this team, behind the scenes, in the locker room, seeing the dynamics of, uh, of, of the team and how they became so successful. Uh, today, we're taking a very brief look at the book of Re- Revelation, which is a behind-the-scenes look into the throne room of heaven. There we see what God's plans and purposes are. And there we see how our prayers play a role in what God is doing in the world. I'm going to take you through a very brief uh, overlook of Revelation. We'll stop at Revelation 5. But in the opening verse of Revelation, uh, the book says, this is a revelation from Jesus Christ, chapter 1, verse 1, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. And Jesus makes this revelation known to his servant John. Now we know John was one of the twelve disciples of Jesus and he receives this revelation from Jesus uh, interestingly when he is in lockdown. John is on the island of Patmos chapter 1 verse 9 where it's commonly believed he was in prison because he was a follower of Jesus. Now John along with the original readers of this revelation was suffering. They were suffering uh, great trials we're told having to patiently endure great trials for being Christian chapter 1 verse 9. And it's here on Patmos that the risen and ascended Lord Jesus appears to John and commands him to write down what he has seen. Uh, Verse 19, chapter 1, what is now and what will take place later. So John is going to be shown what is really happening in the world. What God is doing in the world, both at his time and in the future. And that's what we see. John sees from chapter 4, He gets this behind-the-scenes glimpse into heaven. He's invited into the very throne room of God. Now, physically, John is sitting in a prison cell, a dark, dingy prison cell in Patmos. But spiritually, he's in the bright, glorious presence of the God of the universe. And what does John see? Well, 
He sees God seated on the throne. He sees creatures in heaven praising and worshipping God as the sovereign ruler of all things. Uh, We saw that in the kids kids talk. Throne room of heaven, God on the throne, the creation worshipping him. Now, if you can imagine that the universe is one giant aeroplane. Now, remember those things? We used to fly in them when we went to other countries. Yeah. Okay. If the universe was an aeroplane, then John has entered into the cockpit, uh, which these days, as with heaven, you can't physically enter. And there, John sees who's flying the plane. It's God, the creator, in the pilot's seat. And then in chapter 5, the chapter we're looking at this morning, John sees a scroll in the right hand of God seated on the throne. And this scroll has writing on both sides and it's sealed with seven seals. So the big question is, what is this seven-sealed scroll? What is it? The book of Revelation is full of symbols that represent various things about God, about the world. And this scroll, with writing on both sides, in the hand of God, symbolizes the complete sovereign will of God. Uh, The number seven is the number of completion. It's the complete sovereign will of God in his hand. So this scroll is everything God is going to do in the world. It's like the flight plan for the aircraft, which lays out the planned route. This is the flight plan for the universe, God's will for all things. What a scroll to get your hands on. Wouldn't we like to get our hands on that scroll, pop a couple of the seals, maybe three or four, have a look, see what God is doing? What are you doing with this pandemic, God? How's it going to turn out? Who am I going to marry? Um, What job will I have? Uh, When will I die? How will I die? What a scroll to get your hands Will my footy team win the premiership this year? What a scroll to get your hands on. But then John sees a mighty angel who asks, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Verse 2. But no one is found worthy. And what does John do? He weeps. He starts blubbing like a baby. Here is a man though, imprisoned and suffering for the gospel. He obviously longs to see what God's will is and that it be done. He grieves that there is no one worthy to open the scroll. But then John is comforted, verse 5, by an elder who tells John that there is someone worthy, someone who is worthy to open the seven-sealed scroll. Now, this someone is not named. But if we know our Bibles, we know from the description that it's Jesus. Because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, verse 5. He is the one descended from that kingly line of Judah, we're told in Genesis 49, from which kings will come. Jesus is the root of David, again, chapter 5, verse 5. He is the one descended from the great King David to rule forever. We're told that in 2 Samuel 7. And Jesus is the lamb looking as if it was slain, chapter 5, verse 6. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, who was led like a lamb to the slaughter for our iniquities. 
The creatures in heaven who praised and worshipped God in chapter 4 now worship and praise Jesus, the Lamb of God. They praise the one who is standing at the center of the throne who has gone and taken that seven-sealed scroll from the hand of God to open it. Why do they praise Jesus as worthy to open the scroll? Why is this one worthy above all? Verses 9 and 10. Have a look at verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. It's because by his blood he has purchased people of all nations. He has set people free to serve God and reign on the earth. There it is, friends. There is God's plan, his mission for the world. That's his plan. His plan to redeem, to set free people from all nations by the blood of his Son and bring them into his kingdom. John and the disciples of his day may have been wondering what God is doing with their imprisonment, with their suffering and how he's going to achieve his plans for the world as they sit squandering in prison, suffering. But what a comforting and encouraging thing for John to see and for the disciples of his day to hear that all their suffering for Jesus, the one who suffered and died to save them, is ruling on the throne in heaven. He's in charge. What a comforting and encouraging thing for them to see and hear that the scroll God's sovereign will is in Jesus' hand and that because he sacrificed himself, he's worthy to open it. He's worthy to put it into effect. Jesus is sitting in the pilot seat now with his hand firmly on the control. He's in the position to bring God's flight plan for the world to completion, to bring the nations, all the peoples of the earth, into the kingdom. Now this ought to be a great comfort and encouragement to us. As we suffer for being Christian, as we groan with the creation under this pandemic, not knowing what is going to happen in the future, but knowing that the Lord Jesus is ruling on the throne and is in control. Isn't that an encouraging thing for us who follow Jesus to know that he is in control? Nothing that happens in the world happens apart from God's sovereign will and Jesus has God's sovereign will in his hand. The one who died for us, who loves us. But there is more. At risk of sounding like a tele-advertiser, there is more. What is still more comforting and encouraging to God's people as we face trials and uncertainties is that in the midst of this most glorious scene of Jesus ruling and glory, honour and power in heaven are our prayers. Look at verse 8 of chapter 5. And when he had taken it, that's the Lamb, the Lord Jesus, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. You see that? Jesus taken the scroll from God. He's taken control. 
He's receiving all this worship and praise and the creatures as they prepare to worship him, they're holding golden bowls full of incense which we are told explicitly are the prayers of God's people. It's an easy thing to miss, isn't it? Amidst all of this dazzling imagery, all this praise, all this glory. But amidst all of that, in the, in the center of the universe, the traffic control center, the, the cockpit of the universe, are our prayers to God. Heaven is one place we aren't allowed to enter because sinful people like us cannot enter the presence of a holy God without dropping dead on the spot. And yet, our voices can be heard in heaven. Your voices, my voice, as we pray as we ask God for things, as we plea, as we lament, as we give him thanks, they're all being offered to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. All the things we're concerned about, including the names of those whom you want to come to know Jesus, their names are being heard in the throne room as well. Isn't that amazing? That place we can't go. Not even us who are followers of Christ can't go there, but those who don't follow Christ, their names are being heard if we're praying for them in heaven. Isn't that both comforting and encouraging? It ought to be. Isn't it comforting to know that our prayers actually get to heaven? That our prayers are not just bouncing off the ceiling and not making it through? And is it encouraging to see how prominent our prayers are? These heavenly creatures worshipping and praising Jesus, they're not holding lavish gifts to give the king. They're not sort of taking a a photo of Jesus and saying, can you sign this photo for me? Because, you know, I'm in your presence. No, they've got a harp, presumably to help them sing, and they have our prayers. The prominence of our prayers here shows how important they are in the heavenly church service. That's what we're looking at here, the heavenly church service, which our church service is a reflection of how important those prayers are, how important our personal prayers are to God, how significant they are, how significant our corporate prayers are as people lead us in prayer. You're doing a very significant thing as, we, as you come up here to lead God's people praying to God as the prayers in heaven are being brought But what role do our prayers play in God's mission actually being achieved? Okay, they're making it there, but what difference do they make? Do they get answered? Do they make a difference? Well, straight after this heavenly gathering in chapters 4 and 5, John watches as Jesus starts to open the seals on the scroll. One by one, from chapter 6, we see God's judgments come upon the earth. And when the sixth seal is opened... The salvation of God's people comes. And John sees a great multitude in chapter 7. People from every nation, tribe, people, language, praising God. And they're before the throne, serving him constantly, sheltering in his presence under Jesus. Come to uh, chapter 7, verse 9 with me. Chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength to be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Here is a vision of God's mission plan being fulfilled, is it not? The redemption of people of all nations living securely in his kingdom. It's a fulfillment of Genesis 12 where we see God promising to Abraham to bless all the families of the earth through him and his offspring, which we know is Jesus. Then in chapter 8, verse 1, the seventh and the last seal is opened. Come across to chapter 8, verse 1. The seventh seal is open and there is silence for about half an hour. There's a momentary reprieve from the judgments of God. And then in the silence, John sees an angel. And what does he see? When he opened the seventh seal, verse 1, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who would stand before God and the seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had, who had a golden censer came and took came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. These prayers of ours rise up like smoke from a fire before God. And immediately, we keep reading, a new cycle of seven starts again. Trumpets this time, not uh, seals which basically announced God's rule being established through the Messiah. In other words, the prayers of ours that are being brought into heaven as part of this heavenly church service are being answered as the kingdom of God comes in. God smells the aroma of the prayers as being answered. As God's mission plan is enacted so that by the end of Revelation, we know the story, judgment is complete. The heavenly city comes down and everything is made new. Again, our prayers in heaven, the presence of our prayers ought to be a great comfort and encouragement, friends, as we face trials. To know God is answering the prayers of his people. He hears them, he answers them, he acts upon them to bring about his sovereign will, to complete his mission. Now, we may feel powerless and helpless at times, unable to contribute to God's mission to save the nations, the people here in Wagga Wagga. But James says the prayer of a righteous person is both powerful and effective. God wants us to pray. He commands us to pray. I'm so glad to see that you are praying. You've got two events in your announcements to pray. That is fantastic. The history of Christian mission shows again and again something that is still true today, that great disciple-making movements, great waves of people coming to know Christ only happens after a great deal of prayer. It only happens when God's people gather together, get down on their knees and pray earnestly and fervently and continually for their community. Only after, dare I say, a pandemic of prayer. That's what we need. 
prayer that spreads throughout the whole community that we just keep praying. When groups of people gather together to pray for unreached people groups, for the local community, for their suburb, God answers that prayer because that's what he wants. He's working through us and our prayers to bring his mission to pass. So friends, if you have a heart for this community, for the city of Wagga, for your neighbours, your friends, uh, the refugees who are here in Wagga, if you have a heart for them, then pray. Gather together and pray. And I, again, I'm very joyous and thankful to see that you are. Pray like the persistent widow in Luke 18, seeking justice. Don't give up. No matter what you see happening, don't give up. Keep praying. I'm going to do that right now. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you are in control. Thank you that the Lord Jesus came and died and rose and ascended and is now reigning with you in control. Father, we ask that this we would be encouraged and comforted by this. Father, we ask that we would be emboldened to pray, seeing that your prayer, our prayers are heard, are answered, are an important, significant uh, part of your mission. Father, we ask that we would be prayerful people, both now and in the future, but that we would bring before you all our concerns and particularly the concerns for the lost in this place. Father, we pray that we would pray and not give up for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.